Thanks, Gordon. All right, kids, exciting news. You've got Kids Church happening now, so if you want to boost off to that, it's happening in the West Wing. If you have small children and you want them in the crèche, then that's uh, down the other end, down the North Wing, down past the past the bathrooms. And if you want to connect with us in any way, if you need some prayer or you want to kind of be a bit more active and involved, then feel free to get in touch via the cards and stuff at the back or talk to someone who's wearing a blue tag. I want to um, just sort of share with you this morning that, I don't know about you, but every time I read the Bible or even kind of skim through church history, I'm often really inspired by people who seem to have unshakable faith, like just just amazing faith. For example, Moses. So he had faith when the whole power of the Egyptian empire was just completely focused against him. Or Deborah, for example. She had faith when she was trying to bring order to a very lawless land. Or Ruth. She had to have faith. She was a widow in a foreign, foreign land. Or David, he had faith when he was on the run as a fugitive. You know, being hounded, being chased. Or John the Baptist, he had faith when he was ridiculed by the religious elite and then eventually uh, executed. And so I realize that these people are not perfect. I mean, they're like us. They're very human. They made many, many mistakes. But I think what stands out to me is in the midst of the challenges that they faced, they had absolute confidence that God was in control. The pressures, the problems that they were under, the stresses and the struggles that they were going through, even in the midst of that, they were convinced that God was in charge and they had amazing faith, unshakable faith. And I know, and you know, that you don't just have to be a famous person from the Bible or from history to have unshakable faith. I, many of you here and listening, you, you have put your faith in God Many, many times. I mean, you've had to because you've had no other option, right? With those things like relationship breakdowns or job loss or some health crisis or some sort of financial pressure, you have trusted that God is in control. And, and when people do that, when they, when they persevere through their suffering, when they're patient in the face of the pressures that they are up against, you need to know that they don't, have, they don't have extra insider intelligence. Those people don't have a special ability to look into the future and see that everything is going to be all okay. They're just normal people like, like you and me. What sets them apart is that they don't have some sort of special belief or special skills. They don't even have a special app on their phone. What sets them apart, what, what people who have amazing faith distinguishes them is that they recognize there is more to this life than meets the eye. They are confident that that God is in control despite the trials and the troubles that they're going through. And I don't know about you, but honestly, I think all of us could do with a bit more faith like that. You know, that's certainly for me. I mean, I want my faith to be deep, to be strong, to be resolute in, in the face of the problems that, that I've I'm got, that I'm, I'm going through, I really want to have unshakable faith. I want to have an amazing faith that just trusts that God has got it sorted. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore how you can be faithful, how you can be people who, who really are fueled in your faith by looking at some of the, the factors that can kind of help that. 
uh, and, and in the world where the pressures of life can be really draining, we want to encourage you to, to fuel your faith over the next few weeks. So here's the thing, whether you are a committed person of faith, whether you are just kind of checking out the Christian faith, or whether you're sort of somewhere in between, I'm really confident that the next few weeks are going to be helpful. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life and teachings of Jesus. And if you've ever followed the biographical record of Jesus, you might be interested to know that there was only two things that Jesus was amazed by. There was only two occasions where Jesus was stunned and shocked by what he saw. And the first episode happens in Matthew chapter 8. You're welcome to follow along in a Bible uh, if you have one. But I'll set the scene. Jesus is heading to a place called Capernaum, and he's met along the road by a Roman officer. This guy's actually a centurion in the Roman army, which means he had command of 100 soldiers. And so the centurion has a young servant who is sick and unwell. According to the text, he was paralyzed and in terrible pain. And so Jesus kindly offers to follow the centurion home and to, to, to heal the servant. But look at what the centurion says in reply to Jesus' offer. He says this, But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word, from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Now here's the interesting thing. That centurion understood authority. He was a man under those who were above him, and he was over those who were under him. And it's almost as if the centurion is saying, my men don't obey me because of me. They obey me because of who I represent. I represent the power and the prestige of the Roman Empire. And it's like the centurion is saying, Jesus, I've been, I've been watching you. And I know that you represent something. You represent someone greater. And so if, if you want to heal my servant, then just do what I do. Just, just say the word, just issue a command, and it will be done. And then look at Jesus' response to this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Jesus was astonished, not by the officer's request. Okay, People ask Jesus for favors all the time. If you read earlier in this chapter, you'll see that Jesus had just healed a leper, and he wasn't amazed by that particular miracle. What amazed Jesus was the centurion's faith. Look at this. Jesus said to those who are following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was amazed by this big and this bold centurion's faith. And the centurion had figured out that Jesus had authority. He had power. He had faith that Jesus had the ability to make things happen. He had an insight to trust that Jesus could do what he said he could do. And Jesus was amazed by this. Here's a fun fact for you, if you're into fun facts. Jesus was never amazed by anybody's knowledge by anybody's religiousness, by anybody's obedience, by their good works, or even by their generosity. 
He was never amazed by any of that stuff. But in this instance, Jesus was amazed by an ordinary man who had extraordinary faith. Well, the second time Jesus was amazed happened on a visit to his hometown, Nazareth. So according to the record, Jesus has been pretty busy teaching and healing people. <coughs> and initially, people are quite impressed. And then jealousy sort of seems to creep in. This is what they say. Then the crowd scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And you can see the underlying tones there. You know, the crowd, they're like, well, Jesus is not that special. He's, he's one of us. In fact, now with all these miracles, he thinks he's better than us. And there was a, a real resentment and a disbelief in who Jesus was. And so in this instance, Jesus is amazed for all the wrong reasons. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So on two occasions, Jesus is amazed. One, the great faith of the centurion, and the other, the lack of faith by the people in his hometown. And so you need to know this, that Jesus' plans for his followers was that they could put their trust in him, that they could put their faith in him no matter the circumstances they were going through, no matter the challenges they were facing. They could, have, they could put their faith in Jesus. But this is where people get confused. Because often people think that to put your faith in Jesus, you have to just kind of leave your brain at the door. That Christianity is really about blind faith, like just being hopeful and optimistic. But nothing could be further from the truth. That is not at all what Jesus intended. Faith is never, never blind. Did you know that 40% of the population have anxiety around flying? If you want to know what it's called, it's called aviophobia, right? Something interesting for you to learn today. And when you think about it, being strapped into a, a metal tube and propelled at thousands of kilometers per hour, miles up into the sky with no parachute, can bring on some sort of degree of apprehension, right? When you think about it like that. I heard about an elderly gentleman uh, who... who was about to experience his first flight. He was very worried about it, very apprehensive, very anxious, but he eventually plucked up the courage to board the plane. And when he finally landed, his, his family asked him, how was his first time in a plane? And he said, well, it was better than I thought, but I'll tell you this, I never did put all my weight down. I wasn't sure if some of you would get that or not. <laughs> Maybe you're like that guy when it comes to flying. You know, you get on board and you hope that you will arrive there safely and you're sort of optimistic that you will. But I need to tell you that neither optimism nor hope is going to get you to your destination. You have to have faith. And you have to have faith in the skill of the pilots and the mechanical integrity of the aircraft. Those two things, the pilots and the plane, they are the objects of your faith when it comes to flying. And so in life, 
Jesus establishes himself as the object of our faith. He invites anyone who is unsure about life, anyone who's uncertain about the future, not to, not to get into wishful thinking, not to be optimistically hopeful, but to hold on to Jesus as the object of our faith. On the night Jesus was arrested, he had a, a very long and a difficult conversation with his friends. And the end of their time together, he said this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And in that moment, Jesus presented himself as the foundation of faith. His, his followers were dedicated Jews, and they were confident that God was working despite the circumstances. But Jesus invited them to see himself as just as powerful, as just as present as God in the midst of their problems. And so it was actually the Apostle Paul, he was one of the first to recognize the fact that, that Jesus is the object of our faith. Paul was confronted with the resurrected Jesus, and, and from that moment on, he knew undeniably that Jesus was the Son of God. So he wrote to explain this new reality to the Christian churches across the Mediterranean. And one of them was the church in Colossae in modern-day Turkey. And so Paul explains how the traditions and the trappings of the world religions, they're just shadows, they're just a, a faint outline of the reality. Now here's the thing, you can actually learn a lot from a shadow. You can learn a lot about, about the, the size of the thing, the shape of the thing, maybe even the speed of the thing from its shadow. But you can't learn everything from a shadow. And when the shadow caster appears, the shadow becomes less important. And not that the shadow is incorrect, but that it's incomplete. And so Paul argues that, that God's shadows have been found scattered throughout history, but now that Jesus is on the scene, we can see the reality of God. We can see the full picture of what God is like. And so that's why people can put their faith in Jesus. Jesus has rightfully set himself up as the object of our faith, as the divine Son of God. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. That's why Jesus invited people to put their faith in him. Just like that centurion, Jesus invites people <coughs> to recognize who he is, to recognize who he represents, and to put their faith in him. And when you think about it, that's not really too much of a step. I mean, if you boil it all down, good relationships are based on faith. And you have to have faith. If you're a child, you have to have faith that your parents will hopefully protect and provide for you. It doesn't always happen, but that's, that's what you have faith in. Or if you're a parent, you have to have faith that your, your children will make some sort of positive contribution to the family at some point. Maybe if you're a boss, you have to have faith that, that um, your workers are not ripping you off. Or if you're a worker, you have to have faith that your boss is not just going to suddenly fire you. You have to have faith that, that the people you know are loyal, that your, that your neighbors will be respectful. And so the glue that holds relationships together is, is faith, is trust. And if that's true for human relationships, it is most definitely true for our relationship with Jesus. 
So whenever I see people that have unshakable faith, amazing faith, big, bold, committed faith that Jesus is in charge, those people have a real relationship with the living Son of God. They have made Jesus the object of their faith. They have committed confidently to him despite the chaos. They believe that Jesus has got everything under control. And that faith is not blind. It's not optimistic. When people persevere through the gritty realities of everyday life, they are holding on to Jesus in spite of the stresses and strains that they are facing. So over the coming weeks, very simply, just want to encourage you to have a faith like that. To hold on to Jesus so that you can be full of faith in every season of your life. One woman who was full of faith in every season of her life was a lady called Phoebe Palmer. She was American, she was a wife, a mother, an author, and a speaker. She lived in New York in the 19th century. And in the year 1840, same year that New Zealand was signing the Treaty of Waitangi, <coughs> Phoebe Palmer started... A, uh, started hosting a Bible study in a prayer group in her house. It was nothing special, just a small group of people who wanted to fuel their faith, who wanted to trust in Jesus uh, with everything that they had. And so when they gathered together on a Tuesday night, they would share stories about how they were progressing spiritually. They would read a Bible verse, maybe, maybe sing a song, maybe pray for each other. Everyone, men and women, were actively encouraged to contribute. And that small group very quickly grew. Um, people of all ages and stages were, were attracted. They were curious to find out more about Jesus. And so this group became so popular that Phoebe Palmer had to um, undertake several renovations of her house, house several extensions of her lounge just to accommodate the increasing numbers. And at the peak, there were 400 people turning up every Tuesday night to be part of the action at her house. And so the success of these meetings propelled Phoebe Palmer into the national spotlight. She began traveling across America and eventually over to the United Kingdom, preaching and teaching, and tens of thousands of people heard her speak. <coughs> Hundreds of, uh, sorry, thousands of people committed their lives to Jesus in, in a time when women weren't hugely encouraged to do that sort of thing. And so on top of her preaching and her teaching and the people that she connected with, she was also a prolific writer and a very socially active woman. She published 18 books uh, on theology, biography, poetry. She worked tirelessly to help the poor. Uh, and she set up um, a number of housing places in the slums of New York. She established shelters for the homeless. She built schools for the children. She fed the hungry, and she cared for prisoners and prostitutes. I mean, Phoebe Palmer had a deep, deep faith. She made, and, and that faith made a difference in her life, but also in the lives of countless others. But perhaps the most inspirational thing about Phoebe Palmer is is how she endured through a number of tragedies in her life, which could have easily caused her to give up her faith. In 1836, she was a young mother, and she had just tucked her 11-month-old baby into the crib, 
and then headed off to bed herself. And, and she was awakened not long after by screaming coming from the nursery. One of the servants had carelessly knocked over an oil lamp and it had landed in the crib and burnt the baby. And within hours that child had died. And Phoebe Palmer was crushed. That was her third child to die in infancy. And so she cried out in anguish to God and she wrote this in her journal while pacing the room crying to God. Amid the tumult of my grief, my mind was arrested by a gentle whisper saying, your heavenly father loves you. He would not permit such a great trial without intending that some great good proportionate in magnitude and weight should result. The tumult of my feeling was hushed. Wholly subdued before the Lord, <coughs> my chastened spirit nestled in quietness under the wing of the Holy Comforter. And now I've resolved that the time I would have devoted to her shall be spent in work for Jesus. And if diligent and self-sacrificing in carrying out my resolve, the death of this child may result in the spiritual life of many. So at the end of her life, Phoebe Palmer reflected on the goodness and the grace of God, and this is what she wrote. My trials have been triumphs. Every new trouble has furnished an occasion for a new victory. You know, that is the confidence of someone with unshakable faith, someone with amazing faith. And my desire is that we too would have amazing faith, that we would be faithful people full of faith, and we would put our faith in Jesus every day. How about we pray? God, we're grateful that we can put our faith in you because life is chaotic. It's confusing. It's complex. Sometimes it's very sad. We're just humbled that we can hold on to Jesus. He is the person that we can trust in. And so I just pray this morning that in the midst of the changes and challenges that we're all going through, those struggles and those stresses that we face, that we would be committed to Jesus, that we would trust that he has got everything under control. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we just ask you would give us amazing faith. That we would be unshakable and confident that Jesus is in charge. In his powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining with us this morning. Really hope that you've um, been encouraged and, and hopefully inspired and uplifted in, in some way. Um, would invite you to stick around for some tea and coffee and refreshments in the cafe area, have a chat, catch up with someone. If you'd like to talk further <clears throat> um, or if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you, then over here in the corner we've got some people who would just be yeah, really stoked to be able to do that.